It's been said that the epidemic of people enduring isolation and loneliness has reached serious levels. Forming relationships is more difficult than ever. According to a 2019 study conducted by the Pew Research Center, 67% of those polled said that overall, things in their dating life are going not too well or not well at all. Our culture seems to have a dating problem. Is this a serious or trivial matter? Does the Bible have anything to say about dating? That's our topic on Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathard with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor of St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, the Bible says we should love our neighbors as ourselves. <laughs> but I can't find much in the Bible about dating. What am I missing? Well, the Bible doesn't talk about dating. Dating is a, a relatively new invention in human history. And it's pretty much just been in the West. In uh, Europe and North America has been... We're, we're, Dating started and has been popular, and now it's kind of it's 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 more well known thanks to I mean dating and romantic relationships a big theme of lots of movies that are being exported all over the world. So dating is becoming more of a, a worldwide phenomenon now, but it's not in the Bible. Um, it's good to talk about dating though because we have listeners who are dating, thinking about dating, hoping to date. Um, also, the, the way we think about dating, this is kind of like the conversation we had about marriage um, um, recently. The way we think about dating really kind of it, it taps into our deeper beliefs and practices about human relationship. And so I think it's worthwhile us talking about, even if it's not explicitly mentioned in the Bible. So before dating, what was there? How do you go from not knowing somebody to marrying them without a dating relationship? Yeah, d dating is a part of a broader category um, sociologists recognize called courtship, uh, which is it's, it's a big, broad category, which is how people get married, how people come together to get married. Typically, this was done um, in community. It was done by families. Uh, uh, families would arrange marriages. That's one way to say it. And even where families didn't arrange marriages, the families would be a significant part of couples getting together. Um, you wouldn't just call up some girl out of the blue and say, "Let's date." If it, you know, two hundred years ago, even in the United States or, or Europe, uh, th this would be very much their family would be involved. Your family would be involved, even if it wasn't somebody that they chose for you. Your parents would be looped in on it. Your your broader family, you would be meeting and hanging out with her family, and um, this is nuts. I'm thinking a, a younger person listening to us is saying, "What did you just say? Arranged marriages? I don't have. I, I'm trying to think like that person. I don't have room in my brain." to contemplate such a thing. My parents getting together with somebody else's parents and arranging a marriage, that's crazy. Yeah, it shows how it shows how trapped we are in our own cultural worldviews that almost the whole world throughout all of human history hasn't dated. And yet somehow we're like, well, that's the only way. There's all the other ways that you would get together with somebody and get married are unbelievable and ridiculous. We really are trapped in our in, in our own 
worldviews and our own cultural practices. And so just uh, as a general principle, it's good to be aware of that, that the things that we think and do uh, as habits in our groups and our cultures aren't necessarily the way things have to be. But um, yeah, it's the way that it was done. And honestly, people had good marriages. There's always been bad marriages. You can always point to any sort of like family structure or um, method for getting together and say, well, I, you know, I, I know two people whose marriages were arranged, and they're miserable. I also know a lot of people who dated and got married, and their marriages are miserable. It says nothing really about the, the, the method of getting together. There are happy marriages that were arranged, and there are unhappy marriages. And same thing with dating. So you know, the question would be, the deeper question that we can explore would be, why and what shifted and what can it tell us about how we think about relationships now? So, Well, it just seems illogical to me that an arranged marriage would make sense, even though that's the way we've done it forever until recently. Uh, I think most people now who think about dating and thinking are thinking about entering that progression think that before you get married, you should be in love. In order to be in love, you should get to know somebody. The way you get to know somebody is you date that person and you kind of figure that out yeah. and then you fall in love and then you pop the question and yeah. that's just how it works. And that seems like a logical progression and, and it seems antithetical to yeah. your parents getting together and saying, okay, we worked it out. You're going to get married next year at this time. Yeah. Kind of like Mary and Joseph back in the day. Yeah. Well, yeah, yes. You, that, I mean, this is a great... This is a great insight. Your comment's a great insight on why it is that we're so trapped. Oh, by the way, I should say this. I am not advocating for arranged marriages. I don't think um, – the, the dating system is what we have. It's, you know, you live in the culture that you're in. I'm not advocating that we should go back because that somehow that's good. But I do think that – I mean, your comment a second ago, Chuck, is very much just accepted wisdom in our culture, which is you can't get married without being in love or you shouldn't get married without being in love. And there's a gazillion movies that teach us that, you know, don't marry for money, marry for love. Um, and behind it is this notion that that the logical order is you fall in love and then you get married. Whereas for most of the world, that's not been the case. It's you get married and then you fall in love. Um, there's this scene in um, <laughs> I can't I can't get there. Yeah, there's I'm, this I'm trying. scene in uh, Fiddler on the Roof, where which is you know written in the 1960s, but uh, based on a series of stories that was written by um, a, um, a Russian Jew from the turn of the last century, describing uh, his life in a village in Russia. And there's a song in there where uh, the husband, uh, the, the main character, uh, Tevya asks his wife, do you love me? And she says, why are you asking me this now? We've been married for 25 years. And he says, well, my parents told us on our wedding day, I, I'd never met you, but they said, you'll learn to love each other. And I just want to know, has that happened? Do you love me? And she says, I, like, I, what are you talking about? Like, you're crazy. I've, I've had your kids and we've shared a house and we've, shared food and we've shared sickness. Like if that's not love, what is? And he says, so you're saying you love me? And she says, yeah, I guess I do. And this is the gist, and he goes, I guess I love you too. And that's the gist of the song. And, and, and that's for, for us, like if I just say it like that to somebody who's never seen 
the musical, you'd be like, oh, they don't really love each other. But if you watch the musical, you can see they really do love each other. What happened was they didn't know each other. They got married, and then they fell in love. Marriage precedes, in most parts of the world, marriage precedes love. Whereas for us, it's been completely reversed. Now, I, I, again, I'm, I, don't, I don't know if we're talking about dating or marriage. Oh, we're talking about dating a little bit here. Uh, I'm not arguing to go back to uh, um, arranged marriages. But what, what I am saying is, is that dating and marriage in our culture would get a boost of healthy realism, would get a shot of relational energy if we would decide that that's actually, not that I'm not saying give up dating, but to decide that marriage precedes love. Like love is a function of being married, not the other way around. Marriage isn't a function of being in love because that's what we believe. And what's happened is, is that, you know, we date to fall in love. And um, that's one of the reasons why people date. We can talk about other reasons in a little bit, but we date to fall in love. So we fall in love. And we're like, okay, I'm, I'm in love now, and I'm going to get married. And anybody who's ever been in love from a 12-year-old to a 95-year-old knows that you will eventually fall out of love. You'll eventually not feel it. So what happens is, since the marriage is based upon um, the falling in love bit, once you fall out of love, marriage is dispensable. But if you base the falling in love bit on being married... What happens is, is when you fall out of love, you say, oh, but I'm married, and that's the main thing. I'm going to get back in love. I'm going to do the work that it takes to get back in love. This is Everything I'm saying now is based on the supposition on my part that the lie that you can't control falling in love or how you feel is a lie. I, I do believe it is. You can, we, we, we can control how we feel. It's not a magical experience to fall in love that once it's gone, you can just never get it back. I've seen people get it back. I've gotten it back. I've been married and fallen out of love and gotten it back. And I think almost everybody who's been married a long time will say that's the case, but it only happens if the marriage comes first. So I get all that is just my argument that it's not that weird that there be arranged marriages. It's actually been successful and worked while at the same time, again, not advocating for a return to that. Although, although there are benefits to approximating it if you can. I'll give you an example. As a really good friend of mine, actually a member of my church, actually a fellow elder who has uh, kids who are all grown now. He's got, a, well, one's in college, but they're all grown. And he told my wife and I, he said that as our kids went through high school and into college, we had a rule in our family. Find somebody you like, find somebody you want to date. The family gets veto power, though. If you bring somebody home and the family says, what? no, this person's not good for you, the family gets veto power. I think there's How'd deep wisdom in that. Well, what he said was, is that the kids all knew, I'm not going to bring some, I'm not going to bring home somebody that my parents would not like. I'm not going to bring home somebody that my siblings would say, oh, I know them. That's bad news. And what happened was, is the family together sort of, they didn't choose their spouses, uh, um, let's see, one of their kids is married now, um, others dating. They didn't choose their spouses or significant others for them. But what they did was say, we're going to do this as a family. Uh, this is an important part of what I think could benefit dating is if people would decide, this isn't about me and my desires and finding somebody. 
This is actually about a community. I have a people that belong to me too. I have guardians or parents. I have siblings. I have cousins. I have friends. And they have the same thing. And if this is going to work, it's going to have to blend together. And I think that's an important part of dating. Should be. You have three kids. Two of them are in high school. Is the dating environment for them different from the days when you were dating your wife, Angela? In some ways, not. In some ways, in some ways, it's the same kind of emotionally draining mess that it was when I was in high school. I'm not a big fan of like, uh, like emotionally draining mess. Yeah. I, what, what, do, what do the kids call it today? They don't call it going steady. That was a 1950s thing. Right. But you know, like, uh, being committed, like you're my boyfriend, you're my girlfriend. Um, that's just, uh, that's the same as it was then. And I, like I said, it's, I think it's an emotionally draining. I don't think that people should be committed when they're in high school like that. That's, that's good divorce practice. You know, you, you date somebody in high school you know, you're dating this guy and, you know, hey, you know, do people trade class rings? Oh, that's a 1940s thing. Shows my level of knowledge of what the kids are up to these days. You know, you do something to, to signal. Whatever the code is now, kids, you do something to signal. We're together. We're exclusive. Whatever. That's 1980s language. You know, we're together. And um, then you're like, call me tonight. And he doesn't call because he's out playing basketball with his friends. And the next day, you're like, you didn't call me last night. And he says, I was playing basketball with my friends. I'm not, I, I don't have to call you. You know, what, what am I supposed to do? Call you like at two in the morning when I got home? And then she breaks up with him. Well, okay. In high school, you know, no harm, no foul. Uh, no pun intended with the basketball thing. But everybody goes along. She cries a little bit. He's ticked off a little bit. Maybe he cries a little bit. They complain to their friends. They sit on separate sides of the lunchroom for a few days. And then life goes on. But you know when you're 35 and you're married with two kids and he stays out late playing basketball when you told him to be home at midnight, you just, you just don't get divorced for that. But if in high school you're practicing that, you're practicing, we're committed. You know, ride or die, it's us together forever. Oh, no, you didn't come home, you didn't call me last night because you were playing basketball. I broke up with you. That's just bad practice for a relationship. I'm opposed to it. Now, what was it? Whether it's, you know, when I was growing up in the 1980s, early 1990s, or whether my kids are doing it now. One thing that's significantly different, of course, and this is an old man thing to say, is social media has made it really different. Like communicating, like you had to go up and talk to somebody face-to-face if you wanted, you know, to develop a relationship. And that doesn't happen now. There's good things and bad things about that, but it has significantly changed the way dating happens. For between the way I, I, I did it in high school and the way my kids are experiencing it. As a dad, are you nervous as your uh, kids move into this part of their lives where dating relationships are right there on the table? It's now happening in the Miller family. Are you nervous? Oh, there's a part of me that's super nervous. There's another part that, you know, longs to trust God for it. There's another part that, um, you know, believes that what my wife and I have taught our kids that that, that they'll follow through on. I am nervous, and and I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, this is a, a this is a Christian pastor thing to say. I, you know, I pray that God would keep my kids from sexual sin, 
And, and the reason why is this. I've, I've experienced this, and I, I know of lots of other cases, where people have sex before marriage, and it ends up buying, this happens especially to, to, to girls. I knew of a girl once who was sleeping with a guy in high school, and the guy started hitting her, really beating her up good, and she would not leave because she had been bound to him psychologically. Now, one thing you can do to avoid that is you can have sex with him, but keep yourself psychologically distant. You can disassociate your body and your mind while you're having sex. That's one way to prevent that. But of course, like that's the pathway to all kinds of mental health problems, training yourself to dissociate. And that's what, ki- that's what p- people do now when they date is they train themselves to dissociate because the danger is, is when you're sleeping with somebody is that you start to develop feelings and then you're caught and you're trapped. And in order to not do that, um, you train yourself not to develop feelings. So I pray that, uh, you know, I teach my kids like, I know, again, this is an old fogey Christian pastor thing to say, but sex outside of marriage is just not good. It binds people together in ways that does, it's not commensurate with the covenant commitment that it's faking. And sex works best. It works best in covenant commitment where there's no fear of abandonment, where there's no fear of being shamed, where there's no fear of misplaced feelings or uh, unrequited feelings. And so I pray that God would keep my kids from those mental health issues that would certainly arise if they b- begin to be sexually active before they're married. Um, I, just in general, I, I, I don't want my kids, the pressure to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend is just as thick now as it was when you and I were in school. And what I don't want my daughter and son to think is I have to have a boyfriend if I'm going to be normal or a girlfriend if I'm going to be normal. I don't want them to think that they don't need a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They, you, just, you just don't in high school. What we all need is Jesus. And if we think of relationships as needs, we're already got, we've already got our backs up against the wall in the mental health department. And so I, I, you know, I worry about them, but also I trust God to take care of them as well. New York University psychology professor Niobe Way says, we're in a crisis of connection, disconnection from ourselves and disconnection from each other, and it's getting worse. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, I mean, it's just spot on. It's just everywhere. It's in the sociological studies, like you know she's talking about, but it's also just when you talk to people in general that we don't connect anymore. And part of this too is, um, like I said earlier, we've learned to dissociate. People date for fun and for a good time. Well, in order to do that, you got to shut down the mechanism inside of yourself that's craving connection because you don't want to get too close to somebody because you got to have the freedom to, to back away if it's not working out. And you don't want to get hurt if the other person backs away because it's not working out. And so, like I said, you dissociate and what happens is we're training ourselves to not build relationship. We're training ourselves to not build relationship over and over. And um, I mean, a, a good example I heard from a mentor of mine several years ago was, um, you know, relationships. Now, th- this is what I just said about dissociation is broad. But again, sex is a part of this. And the hookup culture is a part of this. The dating, the, con- the, the, the contemporary dating culture is a part of this. 
Sex is designed to bind us to somebody. It's designed to psychologically and emotionally, relationally bind us to somebody. Now, you can train yourself to avoid all that and just do the physical act. But it's like a piece of tape that you stick up against the wall, and the first time you rip it off, it hurts. Lots of people report having significant regret when they sleep with somebody early on in their lives when they sleep with somebody that it doesn't work out or they're they're not interested in. But over time, you train yourself to peel off the wall, peel off the pot. And eventually what happens is the tape can no longer stick to anything. And so people have people have problems. They can't connect with people when they date. They can't connect with their parents anymore. They're finding it harder and harder to make sense of their relationship with their parents, with their siblings. They get married, they have kids, they find it harder and harder to bond with their kids because they've trained themselves to pull away from covenant commitment and relationship. And dating has been one of the main culprits in this, a bad view of dating. Dating is having a good time instead of the way it could be in in a positive sense. So yeah, she's totally right. The the loneliness, it's only going to get worse and worse until we're prepared to give up on surface relationships and really double down on covenant commitment. There's an article in The Hill that says that as of 2022, the Pew Research Center found that nearly half of all young adults are single, 34% of women and a whopping 63% of men. Why do you think that men outnumber women in this statistic two to one? Why do men outnumber women? I don't know. That seems like a weird number, doesn't it? I mean, you would think that if the if there's the, the same amount of men and women in the or roughly the same amount of male and females in the you know out, out in the demographic. One of the explanations I read was that women are these days dating and marrying older men, so that for whatever reason. And that's, I guess, that's my question. Why, you know, why yeah. are there so many single young men compared to young women? Uh, is this a, is this a man problem? Um, I think so. I, I do. Well, yeah. I mean, a significant portion of the problems with relationships in our culture are men problem, male problems. Men are not good husbands because. They're, they're selfish, you know? They've trained themselves from early on. The whole dating for fun scene, the whole hookup scene for men is all about, it's all about serving yourself. It's all about using other people as objects to satisfy your needs. Once you start training yourself to do that, and, and, and the Bible insists we're all fundamentally like that from birth, but if you start to feed that beast over and over, why would you get married? Why would you have kids? They're just sapping you, you know? You can't have a good time when you're tied down to one woman, when you're tied down to kids. And that leaks over into when you're tied down to one job, when you're tied down to one family, when you're tied down to one town that you live in. So rootless. We're Many men are just completely rootless and at sea. And even even if they're married and have kids and a job that they've had for 20 years, feel lost in those things. Because, yeah, it's definitely a male problem. Um, I, I can't really I, – I, I do know this, that there's something about uh, women, and I know as soon as I say that phrase, I've already become offensive. But there's <laughs> something about women that understands more deeply the human need 
for personal connection, the human import, the, the importance of human relationships, that men in our deep self selfishness have neglected and rejected. Um, men have been, you, you know, I, but part of what what I want to say to men and to myself too, who struggles with this as well, is part of being a real true man is to sacrifice yourself for your family and your friends, to give up your own desires to serve other people. If we can get back to that, we can start rebuilding the sort of covenant commitment and relationship where men can trust women and women can trust men and men can trust men and women, you know, and kids can trust their parents and parents can trust their kids. That, there's a lot of trusting going on there. Well, there's not a lot, which is why we need it. That, you know, parent, men need to be able to trust their kids that I, that you are worth me investing my life in, that I, I can commit myself to you that the whole dating scene kind of undermines the way it's done popularly now. But we need to get back to that. So your work as a pastor takes you to our local Lutheran high school. You also have experience teaching at one of our local community colleges. You're around young people. I'm not around young people nearly as much as you are. So on the question of relationships, what are you actually seeing in regard to what we've been talking about here? All this stuff that we've been saying is there, and it's 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 a symptom of the postmodern problem, which is I, I see kids who desperately want relationship for whatever for whatever reason. Sometimes it's status because you know my friend's got a girlfriend and I've, I'm left out. Um, sometimes it's just like this need that somebody find me attractive. If 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 nobody is finding me attractive, I don't know if I can wake up in the morning. Um. But at the same time, that need sometimes it's just the genuine human need. What I want somebody to know me and to love me. That's that's a big part of it too, of course. Um, that's mixed in with this desire to be independent and not have anybody tell me what to do and to call my own shots. And so to live in a tension of like I want relationship, but I don't want relationship at the same time. Um, that's a big part of what it is to, to date nowadays. It seems like this would be destructive to young people, not just problematic, damaging. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's certainly it's destructive to all of us because I'm like that too. I know I need relationship. I know I need men in my life that know me and that accept me and can call me out on my junk and support me when I need supported. Uh, I mean, you, you know, if I, I – I need people in my life, but at the same time, I hate it. I don't want, I don't want anybody telling me what to do or up in my business. And that's why I'm lonely and bored is because I'm pushing away the very thing that I myself deep down inside know I need. And um, I just have to stop doing that. D dating and in, in the, the dating scene can just be a piece of this. It's just a p part of this whole destructive process. It can be. So as I said, you have two students, two children who are in high school one is a boy, one is a girl. I guess you're paying attention. I'm going to guess, could be wrong, that in order to know what's going on in the dating scene with your kids, you probably have to ask. It's not like they walk home and volunteer all the details. Am I right? Uh, actually, both of my kids like are pretty uh, open about I'm not, it. Yeah. I mean, they talk to us about it, but I don't know about open. It's not like their favorite conversation. But they kind of know this is not happening in a vacuum. I'm not going to be able to date this boy outside of my parents, my, my relationship with my parents. And so we That's do. Good. And I'll, I'll say this. This, this uh, 
Um, this episode topic has been in the queue for a little bit. Since then, one of my kids has come and said to my wife and I, I need to talk about something. I need to talk about a dating situation in my life. So it does happen, and they do come and talk to us, and I, I'm grateful for that. You think that's the exception or the rule? Well, I, I'm not sure. I will say in our family, it's we've my friend I described to you earlier, we've borrowed this. You're not. It, family has veto power, and you have to trust us enough that we're not just going to use it just to use it. Like I want my kids to find somebody and to marry somebody who is going to be good to them and love God more and he or she loves them, and to be self-sacrificial. So I'm rooting for this. But they kind of know that, and so they know I'm not going to be able to just date somebody and like two years later tell dad, oh, I've been dating this guy for two years, and you never knew about it. And so we've kind of raised him up that way, and maybe that's the exception. I hope it's not. I hope that families do this together. Do not let your kids go out there on their own. Like, And if you're younger and you're dating, like, do it with your family. And if you're old enough where you're not connected with your family anymore, like if you're dating in your 30s or 40s, do it with your community. You need to have good friends walking with you. You cannot be doing this on your own because we're just not smart enough to see what we don't see, especially when you're in love, especially when you're feeling the feels. You're not thinking straight. And that's not a shot at anybody here who's it's feeling just the feels true. right now. It's, it's just, just true. true. And so um, it's a part of the deal at our house is that we're going to do this as a family and it's just the way it is. So do you have a one-size-fits-all kind of approach to this, or do you have to tailor the boundaries that you set, the interaction you set differently from your son that you would apply to your daughter? Yeah. Anyway, this is just all across the board. Or is this just everybody's different? Yeah. I think across the board, all good parents know that you just don't – there's no one-size-fits-all. The ki- Your kids are so completely different that – um. And you know, sometimes they'll when 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 it, when it doesn't benefit them, they'll call you on it. They'll say that's not fair, you know. So and so got something. And the point isn't necessarily fairness in the sense of everybody gets the same treatment. The point is fairness, and everybody gets the same love and encouragement and thoughtfulness on the part of your parents to make decisions that are best for you. But yeah, it is different. And again, too, like when. Part of this too is like if it is going to be a family or community thing, a big part of it is how well do I know this person that you're going to prom with? How well do I know their family? If I know their family really well, that makes it a lot easier for me to be open about and say, "Yeah, I trust this person." How do I? How well do I know the person that you're dating? If I don't know them at all and I don't know their family at all, it's and, and again, this is across the board. If my kid is seven years old and says. Hey, I got invited to, to a sleepover at somebody's house, and I know my kid's friend really well, and I know their family really well. I'm way more likely to say, "Yeah, go to the sleepover." Than if I don't know the kid or the family, I will always say no. I'm not going to send my kid overnight to somebody. And same thing with, with dating, you know. And um, same thing with everything. There's you know, one of my kids. I don't have any problem letting him have the car. The other kid, uh, it's not. Their driving ability is not there yet, and it's not being unfair. It's just like, you know, you know your kids. And sure. So d- d- how we deal with dating in our house is the same way. One more question. One thing that is different, not just from first century Mary and Joseph arranged marriages, 
but different from a generation ago, and that is online dating. Yeah. Do you have an opinion on that? Is this is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it a neutral thing? Would you recommend people be very careful with online dating, or you think, yeah, you know, this is actually opening up doors that otherwise would never be open? What do you think? Yeah, I don't think anything's neutral, so it can be bad and good. It just depends upon how wisely you deal with it. A lot of people that I know, in fact, it's getting more and more all the time, the percentage of people I know who got married because, you know, they met in college or, uh, you, you know, they met at a party with some friends. Is that that's The percentage of people I know like that is dropping, and the percentage of people I know who met online is going up higher and higher. It's, it can be a great way to meet people. It would be a great way to meet people. And, of course, at some point, the, the goal of online dating, hopefully, is to meet somebody and to find out, do I share values with this person? Is this the kind of person I can give myself up to and sacrifice for and love? And then let's meet in person and find out the next step. Are, is, are we, is, do what we have together, is this the kind of thing where we could self-sacrificially love each other for better and for worse in sickness and in health? Forever until we die. Is this the kind of thing? So the goal is to, to to ramp it up. But in terms of like how to meet people, it's a great way to meet people. But you know, it's, what's different is that, according to some statistics I saw in 2021, dating app revenue, people running dating apps, was about five and a half billion dollars. Yeah. Never before has the dating scene or the dating process been a revenue generator like this, but it's a big one now. And there's something about that that makes me kind of nervous. Uh, well, I, I think, so we're talking about two different things here. Whenever and whenever you talk about dating now, you do have to talk, there's two kinds of dating. There's the one I'm arguing for, where you date to find out, is this somebody I can give my life to forever I don't and need, trust them? I don't need to do that because all I have to do is read their profile on the dating app. Well, no, I, that's obviously that's, <laughs> Those profiles are highly curated, you know. Yeah. Nobody says, you know, I've got a temper problem and I probably <laughs> drink too much. And one time I punched my little sister. Nobody says that on those profiles. You know, they're all, you know, walks on the beach and yeah. I'm very wealthy and calm and my hair is great. Um, <laughs> if we use dating, whether it's like dating in person or online dating, in order to find, to, to look for somebody that I can give my life to and I can trust to... I can I can have them give their life to me, and I can love them and hold that trust sacred, and be committed to them. That's one way of I'm arguing. That's the way we should date, and we should do it with our friends and our family with us. I don't I don't mean arranged marriages. I don't mean like you always have to date with somebody there. I just mean it's got to be in relationship. The other thing that dating apps are used for, which this is the part that troubles me too, is I mean they're frequently used as just hookup apps. You know, I just, I can find somebody to sleep with for the night, you know, and that's very disturbing that we're using technology just to exacerbate. We're already taking our propensity to disassociate. We're, we're, we're taking our mental health issues and we're ramping them up. We're not helping them. We're just increasing our level of loneliness and disconnectedness by doing this. Super damaging. And it's why people are so desperately anxious and depressed and lonely and bored is because of this, and dating apps, if they're used that way as hookup apps, 
they just feed into this. Now, it's not going to go away because the dating app companies are making tons of money, like you say, off this. So you have to be able to say, no, it's nonsense. It's bad. It's damaging. I'm not going to use them that way. And, and people know. P- people know which apps are for that and which apps aren't. aren't. But I just encourage people like to think about biblical, think about relationships biblically, that they're for self-sacrifice, for finding ourselves in a connection with other people, for finding ourselves in the way that we mirror Jesus's love for us by self-sacrificial love. And then dating can be a really healthy and fun way to, to see, is this person the person I should marry? And not the destructive thing that it can be when we use it in a self-centered way. Well, I think that sums it up nicely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Craving Answers, Craving God. If you benefit from these conversations, please tell your friends about us. And if you like, you can rate our podcast and write a review. For Pastor Aaron Miller and our production manager, Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rather.